how many of you guys are so cold your mouths don't move? Okay, all right, Floridians, I got that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I woke up this morning and it was 25, and I felt like this was the one day a year it justified my beard, so I was very excited. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. Uh, we're going to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse uh, 16 there, <laughs> there in Luke chapter 14. While you guys are opening, let me just remind us that we're in a week two of a three-week message series on how to bring your friends to church. Uh, I've seen many of you, and you've brought your friends to church here today. So if you're a friend who is brought to church, just know this is not like going to be a whole thing where I'm talking about you, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's really going to be today about Jesus's call to invitation. So I just want to put you at ease. You came. Everything's cool. You're cool. You're okay. We're okay. I just want to say that up front. Last week, we looked at this um, this idea that in order to be better about bringing our friends to church, in order to be, to be the kind of people who regularly, routinely uh, are inviting people to come with us on this journey of following Jesus, we've got to be, uh, better understand our city. And so we looked at the city of Orlando and some of the demographics and talked about um, why we need to know our audience because it helps us in our messaging. This week, what we're looking at is the idea that we've got to become determined to invest and invite, uh, meaning uh, that... Uh, part of our strategy for engaging people has got to be with this, this double I thing, and we're going to look at that a little bit later. Next week, as we finish up, we're going to look at mastering the art of follow-up, uh, what it looks like after you've brought a friend to church to follow up with them, just to ask them some good questions. Not to be too, uh, too sales pitchy here, but um, just to kind of follow up and minister to them and make sure everything's okay. Uh, today is going to feel, if, you're, if you've been coming for a while, today's going to feel maybe a little bit different because last week is a little more preachy. There's a little more kind of passion, emotion, kind of maybe some tears were formed. This week's going to be on the balance scale a little more teachy. I'm going to be teaching just a little bit more here today. So just want you to be prepared for that. We're going to meander through a text. I'm going to make some observations. I'm going to make some interpretations. And then make application on the way. Uh, and we're going to do that over about four different phases. So I want you guys just to settle in for maybe a little bit disruptive pattern uh, as to what's relative to what's normally going on here. So just as a heads up, just as a warning before we get going, it'll feel a little bit different. But I promise I will bring my same Doug Hankins wit, wisdom, and style uh, to bear on this subject. There will be some jokes. I'll try to tell some funny stories. Uh, I might speak some Portuguese, right? Or make an attempt at speaking some Portuguese. So maybe some Spanish. So it'll, it'll be a good times. Um, as, we, as we set up for this evening... Um, as we get ready to go, let me kind of set a context here. I want to take you guys back to the year 2003. Uh, how many of you guys weren't born in 2003? I want to see if I'm completely outdated yet. Okay, everybody was born before 2003. Okay, good. I don't, uh, that's good. I'm, I'm among friends. So it's 2003. I was uh, a junior, about to be a senior in college. Um, and uh, I was getting ready to propose to my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I needed to make some extra money. Uh, and at that time, there wasn't like internet or anything like that. So you had to open a newspaper, look in the classified ads, uh, which is always a really like sketchy way to try to find a job. But I was, you know, I'm a desperate college student. So I see this ad. It says, hey, if you're a college student that would like to make some quick money, uh, come over to this office building at such and such a time. And, you know, we'll show you a great business opportunity. And being as I had really no other opportunities at the time, I was like, this sounds fine, right? So I drove over. It, I, I knew things were bad along the way. I'm driving from the good part of town to maybe not the greatest part of town in the town that I lived in. And I pull up to this office building. There's no sign anywhere. I like 
I just walk into this room. There's no pictures on the wall. There's just all these other hungry college students sitting there just kind of like they didn't know what to do. And this guy comes out and he's like, yeah, just please sit here. I'll be out in a second and do my presentation. And I'm like, okay. My buddy Caleb was with me at the time. We kind of find two seats together. We sit down. It's like the most awkward, uh, smelly waiting room you've ever been in. There's like wood paneling and you can tell it was really cool in the 70s, but it's now 2003 and they haven't updated at all. And so it's just really awkward. So we sit down and we're kind of like looking at each other like, what's going on here? The guy says, comes back in, he's like, hey, you guys feel free to help yourselves. There's some reading material, some magazines. I'll be just a few more minutes. And I'm like, okay, what is this? So I look down at this end table and there are magazines there. And I'm like, what kind of magazines are there? I'm thinking it's like Sports Illustrated or People Magazine or whatever. And it's pornography that's there. And I'm like, what kind of place am I in right now? What is, it, what is this guy about to take me into a room back there and have me do? Do I have to take my clothes off? If I have to take my clothes off, I'm out of there. Like, this is weird. Like, I'm not sure. Now, I should have just gotten up at that point, but I was a little bit curious and I was like, huh, where's this going? Like, so I had, I, you know, at that point you had to draw your line and go, this is as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going any further. And I set my line at the inner room. If anything weird went on in the inner room, I was, I was out. So I'm in the exterior room. We're kind of doing our thing. Me and Caleb get called back to talk to the guy and he sits down and he goes, hey fellas, how would you guys like to sell knives? And I was like, oh no, right? He pulls out this knife set. He starts going through the whole deal about how we can go door to door, knock on doors, say, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, do you have knives, right? Because no slasher movie ever began with that premise, right? Like, this is the precursor to Saw. It's like, excuse me, we like to buy knives in a dungeon, right? Like, that's just the only next thing, right? So he goes through the whole thing. And as he's going through this, I'm in my mind just mentally going, how many more seconds do I have to listen to this before I can get out of here, right? It's the, it's the most, one of the most awkward, uncomfortable, uh, displeasurable experiences of my life. So... He goes through the pitch and he's like, would you like to, um, you know, sign up today to be one of our, you know, salesmen? And I'm like, no. And I just like get up and start to leave. He's like, whoa, where are you going? I'm like, I'm getting out of here. That was my line. I've got to go. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. And I like just darted through the waiting room. As I got through the waiting room, I was like, it's a scam. And I just like, I just like kept going, right? I was like, this is super weird. Um, here's the reason why I tell that story. I tell that story because I think for many of us, when we've come to a place like a church and we've sat down to try to listen to a guy talk about evangelism, it feels kind of like we're in that waiting room getting prepared to talk about knife sales going door to door. It feels a little bit awkward. We're afraid at some point they're going to talk to us about how to pressure sell one of our friends into believing in Jesus. And we all feel uncomfortable and internally are just waiting for the guy to stop talking so we can get out of here and go on our way. And if that's you that's here today, I just want to speak to that in the room a little bit and say there, we're not going down that path at all because there is something fundamentally different about the way Jesus talks about evangelism than the way we in our broader culture tend to think about evangelism. For most of us, when we hear the idea about investing and inviting our friends to come to church with us, we think about it like this. I'm going to invest in them as this sales lead. 
and I'm going to invite them to buy Jesus from me and sign on the, do- the line that is dotted. It's all pressure sales. And I want to rescue this idea of investing inviting from the idea of uh, pressure sales and instead uh, bring us over to where Jesus talks about that investing and inviting is really about investing in your friends and inviting them to come along with you into this beautiful experience. And Jesus wants to talk to us about that experience here in Luke chapter 14. So as we jump into that, I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, show us today in your word, please, what it means to be part of the local church and how beautiful that is and why it's so imperative for us to invite people to come along for the ride. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Jesus is telling a parable, and he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he tells this parable. But he, Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these or none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Guys, I want you all to notice four things in this passage. We're going to notice it, and then after a while, I'm going to make some application about each one. So I want you to notice four things. The first one is this. I want you to notice that the church is a party. That the church is a party. When Jesus thinks about the kingdom of God, he describes it as a banquet, which is a, it's an olden way of talking about a party. A banquet would have had a giant table, place settings for everybody who is invited, seats. There would be four or five courses. There would be wine. People would just be um, having a great time. It would be an overextended period of time. It would just be this lively experience. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a banquet or like a party. Now, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, what he's talking about is the idea that everything that happens in heaven, right? If you can imagine this line here, and this is the, the heavenly realm, this is the earthly realm, that everything that happens in heaven, the way we should treat one another, the way everything's going to be perfect, where there's no flaws, where there's no problems, where there's no fall, no brokenness, everything that perfectly exists here, because of the, what Jesus has ushered in at the cross, it begins to make its way down below the line into the earth. And so the things in heaven be, start to become, little by little, the things that happen on earth, and justice happens, and fairness, and kindness, and all these things start to take place on earth. And the agents of this kingdom come on earth, this kingdom of God manifesting itself in the earthly realm, the agents of this are called Christians. They're believers. When they gather together, uh, they gather in this thing called the church. And the church is the mechanism that brings the kingdom of God into earth. And so Jesus is trying to teach about this idea. And he says, the kingdom of God, or the way we would understand it, the church 
It's a banquet. It's a party. The church is supposed to be a party. Now, I know many of us may have grown up in churches that were not very party-like, or they were just like the crappiest party we've ever been to, right? And some of us may have had that experience. But Jesus says in the ideal, the church is supposed to be a party. And as I think about this metaphor, I was talking to Alec today, I just thought about this. I mean, just, I want you to imagine for me uh, these, these things I'm about to describe. You tell me what I'm describing here. I want you to imagine a room where there's lots of loud music, maybe a guy on a stage or a band on a stage playing really loud music in a room. A lot of people are gathered there and they're just celebrating and having fun. There's maybe a little bit of smoke in the air. There is uh, some alcohol being consumed. Um, and there are people that are passing around little, little small white things, right? And they're holding it just like this. And everybody's getting a little bit, right? What am I describing here? I'm obviously describing a worship service like at First Orlando, right? There are smoke machines, there's a band, people are celebrating and happy. And they're taking the Lord's Supper. So you've got the wine going around. And everybody's got the little, uh, you know, Jesus croutons. And they're holding it just like this when they're putting it in their mouth. Right? This is a party. The worship space is supposed to be a party. It's a giant celebration. And every Sunday around here, we celebrate. We try to throw a party. When we gather on Thursday nights, our entire aim is to throw a party. That's why we sing celebratory songs. Why? Because church is supposed to be a party. When you get together in a life group, in a home, right, there's people gathering around a couch, there's music being played, there's some physical touching going on, there's some awkward exchanges in the bathroom area. It's a party, right? That's what goes on. That's a life group, right? The, the, the church is supposed to be this place that celebrates and has fun. And when Jesus thinks about it, he says, it's a banquet. We got to keep in mind, the church is supposed to be a party. It's a party. Number two, invitations, and I want you to notice that invitations are required, Invitations are required. The church is a party, and invitations are required to come to the party. Now, this is really uh, an interesting fact. In, in this story, the, the master sends out all these invitations, and the people are, you know, they're responding to the invitations in one way, shape, or form. But why does the guy have to send out invitations in the first place? Why don't people just accidentally show up or randomly show up to his house? Because if you're throwing a party, no one's going to know about it unless you invite them, Right? No one just randomly shows up to your party. In fact, if someone accidentally shows up to your party, that's a party foul, right? You've got someone at the door, maybe your strongest friend, who's just like, no thanks, bro, right? But no one accidentally shows up to a party. Well, guess what? No one accidentally shows up to church. No one just randomly wakes up one day. No non-believer in Orlando, keep in mind, Orlando is uh, currently listed by Barna as being 60% um, non-spiritual or non-religious. So, Better than half of Orlando just does not identify as religious at all. No, nobody in that 60% of our community just wakes up one day and is like, is there a large evangelical Baptist church, maybe in the John Young and I-4 area that, that has worship service that I could just attend, right? No non-believer thinks that. When you were a non-believer, if you were here and you got saved at some point, at no point did you wake up every day and go, man, I, I bet there's a church out there that I could be a part of. If only someone would come tell me about it. no. No one knows about the party unless you invite them. Inviting them makes them aware of the party they could be coming to. Invitations are required if you're going to come enjoy the party. And these two uh, observations together lead us to our first application point, and it's this. Inviting our friends to come with us is the only way 
to make them aware of the party. The reason Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the church like this, like this banquet where there are invitations sent out is because apart from invitations, no one's going to know about the party. They're just unaware of it. Inviting people is part of the awareness process. It's the mechanism by making people aware that First Baptist Orlando exists, that the college ministry at First Baptist Orlando exists, and that there's a party going on, and everybody's welcome because we make room on the couch. The third thing that I want us to notice is this, that there will be excuses. In this story, the invitation goes out, and there are all these excuses that people are making. And so the master has to invite all these other people, and these other people don't make excuses, and they end up coming. But I want you to notice here that excuse-making is not a new thing. I think many of us who grew up in church, the first time we go to start practicing personal evangelism, and the first time our non-Christian friends start to make excuses with us, right? Uh, we're like, oh no, I did something wrong. Uh, it must be the 21st century. Yeah, people are making excuses now. You know, back in the 80s when Reagan was president, nobody made excuses and everybody just went to church. But now that we've been through Obama, thanks a lot, Obama, people make excuses now or thanks a lot, Trump. Now everybody makes excuses about not going to church. No, no, no. Excuses are biblical. People have always made excuses. And so I want to make that observation just to tell you this. If you've been trying to invest and invite in some friends and invite them to come with you to church and they make excuses, don't get thrown off. That's natural. That happens. Excuses happen. Um, just as a personal story, if you guys know my uh, testimony, um, my best friend started inviting me to come to church when we were in fifth grade. And I became a Christian when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay? So from fifth grade to sophomore year in high school, he invited me to church once a week. Every week from fifth grade all the way up. My freshman year is the first time I was like, hmm, maybe I should go to church, right? So it took all that time. If you'd have asked me as a seventh grader uh, where a church was in the town I, I lived in, the only church I knew was the church that my best friend would invite me, uh, invited me to all the time. And I would have said, oh, there's this weird church that my best friend goes to, and they're over here on such a... I was aware of it. I just wasn't ready to go. Again, invitation is what makes people aware of things. And I gave excuses all the time to my friend why I couldn't go. For like five years, five years. Can you imagine a fifth grader giving an excuse to a friend? It's like, hey, would you like to come to church with me, uh, you know, this Sunday? I was like, uh, nah, bro, I'm doing my taxes. Man, sorry, I can't come. He's <laughs> like, bro, we're in fifth grade. What kind of taxes are you doing? You, you are working illegally somewhere. Like, this is bad. Have you not thought this through? Like, there are child labor laws that are protecting you from this kind of situation, right? All the time I was giving stuff, I got to sleep in, I got I to train for track, whatever. And you know what happened over five years? I just ran out of excuses. And at that point, I was like, bro, you got me. I guess I just surrendered. I'm like, I'm like cows when they see a McDonald's sign. They're like, listen, we get it 100 billion sold. Okay, we'll just kind of, we surrender. We'd like to be a happy meal. That would be great. So, um, so that's the way that works. So just don't be thrown off if there are excuses. Don't be thrown off. Now, let me, can, can I just spend a little bit of time? Can I have like a side sermon here just talking about excuses? Because I get the sense when I talk to young adults all the time that the excuses thing throws us off, um, and it throws us off in two ways. Because our fr uh, there are two types of excuses we've got to work through if we're going to be the kind of people who regularly invest and invite. Two types of excuses. And the first one's this. The first one is excuses that our friends make. Excuses that our friends make. Right? So we invite our friends to come to church, and they're like, sorry, I'm washing my hair. Right? This is the fam most famous excuse in the 50s, right? 
some guy would ask a girl at church, she'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm washing my hair. And they'd be like, okay. But at that time, guys didn't know about hygiene uh, in the 50s. We didn't have like the internet, so we couldn't like fact check that. So most guys in the 50s were like, I don't know, man, her hair's in a bouffant. I guess it takes like all week to wash it. So I think there's some legitimacy there. In the 80s, we got smart and the hair washing thing didn't work anymore, right? And so in the 80s, it was like, you know, I'm just really tired. I have a headache. And so guys are like, okay, I guess I can't invite them to church or on a date, right? That's how excuses work. Our friends in, in like the 21st century have lots of like, you know, unique stuff now. And you guys probably have some really good excuses that your friends give you all the time. Like, I have to work, right? Or, uh, oh man, I got a test tomorrow and I just got to study tonight because I've known about it for two weeks, but I decided right now is the time I'm going to study for it uh, because I'm a college student. That's what college students do. Um, so listen, our friends are going to make excuses, right? And that's part of it. Don't get thrown off when they make excuses. Keep investing, keep inviting. But it's the second, it's the second category here that I'm more concerned about for those of us who follow Jesus and who are going to uh, participate in this thing called investing and inviting. And it's not the excuses our friends make. It's the excuses we make for our friends, right? It's the excuses we make for our friends. So let me give you a couple of examples here. Uh, the first one is this. You know, I want you to imagine you're getting ready to go talk to someone. It's a classmate. You've kind of built a little relationship, and it's time, finally time to have the Jesus conversation. Uh, so you're like, man, how about those uh, UCF Knights, you know, national champions of the state of Florida? Yeah, you know who was a champion of the world? It was Jesus, right? You got it ready. You're not going to rush it. You're going to make use of the effective pause. You're ready to go, right? And you get ready. You sit down. You're ready to go into it. And then you ask yourself this question internally. But wait a second. This person's not a believer. Why would non-believers ever go to church? And you talk yourself out of it. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Dude, if I'm not a believer, I don't want to go to church. So maybe I should just continue trying to invest. I shouldn't invite to church. Well, let's just look at that for a little bit. This is a common excuse we make, but non-believers won't go to church. When does that work in any other area of life, okay? Think about this. There are people all the time who don't drink coffee. And if you say, hey, you wanna go to Starbucks with me? They'll say yes. And you know, because you see them at Starbucks all the time. You show up, they're the people that like, they get to the front and it's like reading hieroglyphics. They're like, oh, Venti, what is that? Huh? Grande, tall is that? What's going on? Is tall, tall? I can't figure this out. Coffee, it has caffeine in it. I don't, do you have any water? And the barista's like, yes, we have water. It's like triple filtered. They're like, whoa, triple filtered water. I've never seen such a thing. This moon space age technology. And you're in the back, you're like, it's my turn to order now, right? You see people all the time. They go to coffee shops, never gonna drink coffee. You see people all the time who don't read books and they go to Barnes and Noble, right? Because you see them, this, the first time they walk in, they're like, what is all of their books everywhere? Amazon hasn't wiped them out yet? What's going on? Like they go in the cooking session and they open up a book. They're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. What's going on? You see people all the time that don't drink alcohol and they go to bars, right? They're the people who are like, listen, I don't want to drink. I just am here to have a good time with friends, right? Uh, you'll know this once you guys get gainfully employed and there's like a happy hour scenario that goes on and you just show up and you're like, I'm not drinking, I'm keeping a Kristen witness, right? And, then you, and you go to bars. People who don't drink, they go all the time. How about this one? People who have no intentions of working out, they go to gyms, <laughs> right? Especially in this month, you see it? 
They're over by like the crotch machine. They're doing their thing. They have no clue how that works. You're over there like doing a curl and you're just like, oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, please come back soon because I don't want to stare at this person. We're sharing a mirror. I can't even look at my biceps as I curl. I have to look away. This is not neutral spine. What is happening, right? All the time, right. It doesn't work in any other area of life. So why does this excuse work for non-Christians? Guess what? Non-Christians will go to church if a friend invites them. George Barna, the same guy I talked about earlier, has this uh, statistic that's been true for like 20 years. And um, it's this. It's 80% of our friends will come to church if we invite them. 80%. So if you've got 10 friends and you invite all 10 of them to church and all of them are non-religious, eight of them are likely to say yes to you, okay? Because they know you and they're like, I love you and you love Jesus, so I'll go to this church and, you know, it'll be cool. I'll see a cult and then we'll kind of go, go on from there. I'll tweet about it later or Instagram it and it'll be fine, right? So 80%. Hey, so don't let that excuse uh, shut you down. Here's a, here's a good axiom that we have around here and I'm going to modify it for us. It's not on the screen, but you can just write it down. Let's not make, or we'll say this, don't make your, ex- your friends' excuses for them. Don't make your friends excuses for them. When you're thinking about engaging a friend and inviting them to come with you to this party, don't make excuses for them. They can make an excuse, that's fine, but don't make excuses for them. It's a really important reason why. We'll look at it in just a little bit. Let me give you another excuse that we make that's pretty common. I just want to talk about it a little bit. And it's this one right here. It's this idea. Why would I disrupt my friend's life by inviting them to church if they're happy? Why would I risk disrupting my happy friend's life to talk to them about Jesus and invite them to church? Why would I disrupt a happy person's life? Why would I pop their bubble, right? And this is a really interesting question because when I talk to young people all the time, they say, well, if they're happy, I don't really feel as compelled to talk to them about Jesus because they're doing their thing and I don't want to inconvenience them. I don't want to cause friction in the process. So just like, if, as long as you're happy, I'll be fine over here and we don't have to talk about this. And so I thought about that, uh, and I asked this question. Under what conditions would it be appropriate to talk to somebody about Jesus in this tolerant 21st century that we live in? Under what conditions would it be appropriate to talk to someone about Jesus, like one of your friends about Jesus? And I can only come up with two of them. It's either if people are curious and they want to talk about Jesus, or if they're miserable, right? Those seem to be the only two conditions that Christians are comfortable just outrightly talking to their friends about Jesus. If they're curious or if they're miserable, right? If someone's curious, they're like, man, I really would love a comprehensive worldview that ties everything together from the sciences to the arts to mathematics, just completely makes sense of all the cosmos, even to the very end of the age. Could you think of anything? I really have a preference for like maybe Middle Eastern religion or spirituality, uh, maybe that started, I don't know, at the advent of time. Could you think of anything? And like the Christian, like just looks over at the Holy Spirit and is like, this is our moment. (laughs) We've trained for this, let's go, four spiritual laws. Yes, in fact, I have something for you, right? But barring that type of scenario, we're not going to talk to anybody about Jesus, right? Unless they're curious or this, if they're miserable. If someone comes up to us and they're just like, man, I just, I'm, I have a terrible life. Nothing's going right. And I just feel like I need something to fill the emptiness in my soul. My soul feels like T-shaped, not uppercase T, but maybe lowercase T. And I don't quite know what it is. It doesn't feel like it's a letter. It may be something else. Could you help me out there? And then at that point, we're like, yes right? 
That's not a T, friend. That's a cross, and it's Jesus, right? (laughs) But unless they come up to us and they go, I'm miserable, then we're not compelled to talk to them. So let me just tease this out just a little bit more, okay? How would you know if your friends are miserable? How many of your friends uh, make the regular habit of telling you when they're miserable? I live in a world where all my friends lie all the time to me. And they don't do it like out of spite. They do it because it's out of a social courtesy, right? Think about the way we greet one another. And it doesn't matter what language it is. Think about the way we greet one another in English. How are you today? Great. How are you? Great. Awesome. Cool. Later. Right? That's English. That's the whole English process. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Great. Okay, cool. Have a good day. Have a good day. Bye. That's a whole conversation between people. But it's not just English. Brazilians. I've been working hard on this one, okay? So Brazilians come up to one another and they say, boa noite, right? And the the person responds, well, I need to work on the pronunciation here. The person responds, beleza, mano, right? (laughs) Right? And that basically means like, good evening. And it's like, everything is beautiful, man, right? It's like, how are you doing? Man, everything's beautiful. How are you? Everything's beautiful, right? That's, if you want to know Portuguese, that's how that works. Is that pretty fair? Is that pretty fair? Okay, Isadora's on my staff. She says that's accurate, right? Spanish speakers. We got any Spanish speakers here? Okay, there you are, the true Christians. Here we are. Uh, yeah, so Spanish speakers do this. Como esta? Bien, y tú? Bien, right? That's a whole conversation. Listen, great. It's beautiful. We have never left the surface of what's going on in the world. How are you? I'm great, bro. How are you? in, right? How are you, beleza, mano, right? You're just way up here. We have never delved into this area. So again, I ask, how would you know if your friends are miserable when this is the way we commonly greet one another? And the answer is you wouldn't. Now, here's another surprising fact. Uh, I I saw this on Facebook one time. It's an interesting quote. Uh, It's come up on your screen. It says this, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about, so be kind. Any of you ever heard that, that uh, statement before, a show of hands? Everyone you meet is fight, uh, fighting a battle that you know nothing about, so be kind to people, right? Uh, I, I saw one person who posted this. This got 11 million likes just from this person on that quote, which on Facebook tells me this is a pretty prevalently, widely held belief system, okay? Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about, so we need to be kind to people. Why do we have to be kind to them? Because we're going to walk up to them, and they're gonna say, you're going to say, how are you? And they're going to say, I'm great. How are you? And you're going to say, I'm great. And you're going to walk away and you're going to go, that person is fighting a battle, right? And I don't even know about it. I don't even know, right? But I was kind to them in the way that I talked to them. And that's the way we operate. So, so just philosophically here, just logically, I, I can't, how do you know if someone's miserable when when you ask them if they're, uh, how they're doing, they say, great. And you also believe that deep down they're fighting this battle, which is making them miserable and you know nothing about it. The only conclusion that I can come to is that most of our friends are miserable and they're never going to tell us about it. They're going to stay up here in the social politeness. And the only way that we're ever going to know what's really going on is if we ask penetrating, intentional questions that get down below the surface into the reality of what's going on in their souls. How are you doing? Great. Okay. How are you really doing? Like, how are you really doing? Are you really okay? Because I have a suspicion that, that maybe things may not be okay. It's, it, the only way to really get into what's really going on is to pop the bubble of social convenience in their life. 
And one of the ways that Christians do that is to say something like this. How are you doing? Great? Yeah, I'm doing great, but if I didn't have Jesus, I wouldn't be really holding it all together. Jesus is the one thing that holds me together in life because my life is a wreck. And I don't know about you, but without Jesus, it would just be a mess. What do you think about that? right? We've now moved way beyond social niceties. If you meet someone in the store, you're like, how are you? Great. How are you? Man, thanks to Jesus, everything's well. Do you know Jesus, right? They're probably like, whoa, 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 too much. But they're probably also later on at their house going, you know what? There was one person in my day who actually cared, and they asked me a real question, because most of us are fighting battles no one even knows about. I think about this issue here um, when I... uh, when I uh, think about our application statement here. Because here's the application I want to take away from this. B, uh, investing time in building relationships is the only way to get past the surface level and ex- uh, the surface level and the excuses and into the things that really matter. Because the church is a party and because you're not going to find out about it unless you are invited, that's why we have to be about as believers the discipline of, of invitation. But because most of us are fighting this battle and because we have all these social niceties and because people are tendency to make excuses and stay at the surface level, we've got to be about the discipline of investing in people because we've got to get beyond the surface into the reality of what's going on and live there. It takes time to develop trust. It takes trust to develop transparency for people to keep it real. And then once you get to the level of transparency, that's That's only when you have the chance of seeing transformation take place in any relationship. Time, trust, transparency, transformation. And I think about this idea of invitation. I think about just this whole weird world of social niceties and everything uh, when I watched this film called The Wedding Singer. Any of you guys ever seen The Wedding Singer starring Adam Sandler? Okay, I can't tell you as a pastor that you should watch this movie because that's not my lane. I'm just saying it's a film that exists in reality. That's all I'm saying, right? But there's this one scene where you've got these, I want to show you a a clip from it. Uh, You have these two characters. Adam Sandler is playing the main guy. He's a good guy who just wants a monogamous relationship, wants to get married. His best friend who wears like a Michael Jackson jacket and has a weird 80s mustache and a perm uh, is just sleeping with women all the time. And he brags all the time about this hookup culture that he's a part of and how happy he is. Well, by the end of the movie, both of them are in a bar uh, situation and... Uh, Adam Sandler looks at his friend and says, I'm just going to be like you, where I'm just going to hook up with ladies all the time, and I'm going to be happy, because that seems to make you happy. Uh, Again, he's dealing with the surface level of what his friend says. But his friend actually makes an honest confession in this moment. And my suspicion is that most of our friends, if we really dug down into the depths of who they really are, they would make a similar confession about their life. Take a look at this video. Now I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna be like you, man. I'm just gonna be with a different chick every night and then I'll send them packing. Sounds like you got it all figured out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to give them cab money to go home because I'll feel bad if I don't. But after that, it's bye-bye, birdie. Bye-bye. That's it, man, starting right now. Me and you are gonna be free and happy the rest of our lives. I'm not happy. I'm miserable. Uh, What? See, I grew up idolizing guys like Fonzie and Vinny Barbarino because they got a lot of chicks. You know what happened to Fonzie and Vinny Barbarino? Yeah, I read that Fonzie wants to be a director and Barbarino, I think, the Mechanical Bull movie, I didn't see it yet. Their shows got canceled. 
Because no one wants to see a 50-year-old guy hitting on chicks. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is all I really want is someone to hold me and tell me that everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. So it took this really beautiful moment, got silly at the end, but stay with me on this. Most of our friends, they're not going to tell us what's going on. So as a discipline, as believers, we're going to need to invest time with them to find out what goes on below the surface so that we can invite them to come with us and be part of this party. The final thing I want you to notice here is that the ones who show up uh, to the party, I want you to notice the ones who show up to the party. Everybody gets invited. All the people have the excuses. And so the master says, go out to the city and go find these people and these people and these people and invite them. And these people come in and they sit at the table and it's fun, but there are still seats at the table. And so the master says, go out to the hedges and the highways. And literally it's just this guy going out to like Lake Eola Park. And he's like, excuse me, sir, do you have a place for the night? No, come with me, right? Just, you can get in my truck. You can trust me. It's okay. I'm a Christian. Let's go, right? We're going to a party. They're passing around little white things. It's great. Come on, let's just go to this thing. And so he's just getting people and he's taking them to the table and they're having fun. And you're just amazed. You're amazed at the ones who show up to the party. You never know what invite you make today may result in a person coming and showing up and being part of your fellowship. You never know what invite you make today may result in someone showing up and being part of our fellowship. Uh, rather than tell you a long illustration on that, I want to invite my friends Will and Josh the ta- uh, up here. You guys uh, give, a, give it up for Will and Josh. You're going to come up here. I'll introduce them. This is not Will and Josh. These are the tall guys. Tall guys bring chairs. So thanks to Jake and Troy. Here, I'll take that one. Thanks. Awesome. There, you guys go for it. I'll have you seated. Actually, let's move this one like this. Just want to make sure we're all invited. Okay. It's on. Okay, cool. Just we can test that. All right, guys. So this is Will and this is Josh. Y'all say hi. Hi. So, uh, you guys, uh, Will, you're, a, are both soft, you're juniors, sophomores? So, both sophomores at uh, University of Central Florida, national champions in football, right? Okay, cool. Uh, so, <clears throat> I want y'all to tell a little bit of your story, because it's a really cool story. Um, uh, Josh, why don't you start? Uh, tell us kind of maybe a little bit about yourself, but really when you first started coming to First Orlando. Give us a little bit of that backstory. All right. So, I graduated, is that too loud? I've never yeah, you got to hold before. it right to your mouth. Right here? Yeah, just, yeah, just right. like a rapper. You're just good, so go for it. All right, so I graduated um, summer of 2016. From high school? Yes. Okay. Um, from high school, and I was looking to change uh, certain aspects of my life. I started uh, college classes at UCF right away. Um, and the most important thing is I was looking for a community to plug in. Um, a lot of my friends left and went to college in other states. I stayed here. Um, so I grew up at First Orlando, um, and I kind of distanced a little bit from the church, but getting into the college ministry, um, started trying to find a, a church to plug into, which I came here. Right. Awesome. And, uh, maybe, uh, mention this, uh, kind of as an intermediary, uh, question. You get to UCF and your roommate as well. You went potluck, is that right? Or did you guys meet? Like, how did y'all connect? It's potluck, you just showed up and you're like, hi, I'm Will, I'm Josh, right? And y'all are roommates? Is that basically how it happened? We met on a, uh, there's like a website designed for incoming freshmen to meet um, 
people and it's kind of like a dating website almost where you can like <laughs> you you post a picture of yourself you put your interest um, and then if you think the person would get along with you <laughs> if you're compatible you yeah there you go you message them roommates.eharmony.com that's how that works right basically yeah roommates.nights.eharmony.com that's how that works okay so you walk in, you're roommates with, with Will, y'all kind of do the whole roommate situation. This is my bed, this is your bed. You kind of maybe go out to eat for, you know, you get to know one another. Uh, talk to me about how, what prompted you to invite Will to come to church with you? Um, well, like I said, I'm from Orlando, so I know the area decently. Um, and so I still had some friends here. Um, I had started classes over the summer, so I'd been out here a little bit longer because we didn't move, become freshmen until the fall semester. Um, so I knew the campus, I knew the area, um, and I knew that Will was new to the area, didn't have any friends, didn't have any community, um, and he was lonely. So I, I figured it would kind of be selfish to, you know, every week I'm going to church, I'm going to Anthem, um, and it'd be kind of selfish to keep that to myself, so I invited him. Also, he he wanted to come. Right. He, he kept asking me, when are you going to invite me? So. Right. Will might be the atypical one. Will's the one that's like, listen, I need friends. Can you invite me to church? Right? <laughs> so everyone needs a Will at some point. So, hey, Will, why don't you grab the microphone? Tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? And like, take us to the moment up to meeting Josh and kind of get inv getting invited to come to church, maybe even your first time. So give us all that stuff. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I uh, grew up in a Christian household, so I knew I wanted to have a Christian roommate. And in that uh, sort of room slash dating site thing, yeah. uh, I, I guess I swiped right on a, a couple of people, seven. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Josh was one of the two that actually messaged me back, and then the rest was history, you right. know. We, we talked yeah. about everything. And it's a bromance in the, right, in the making, right. Okay. Basically, yeah. So, um, yes, he, he helped me out. I told him my story, how I, you know, wanted Christian friends. I, you know, he told me about this awesome church, and, you know, he really talked it up, and I am easily got excited, so I really wanted to come. And So I remember the, I don't know if you remember, either one of you, I remember the first time I met you. I met you by the pool table over there at an anthem, and I walked up, and I think y'all were playing pool, and you yeah. said, you said, hey, Doug, I want you to meet my roommate, Will. And I was like, hi. At that time, you had like an afro that was like up to here, yeah. right? And I was like, who is this freshman? He seems cool, right? <laughs> and um, you were just like super kind of like eyes wide open, like in a situation you weren't sure like what is going on, who is this kind of white guy talking to me right now, and I'm not sure. <laughs> how this is going to work out. Fair? Is that a fair point? Yeah. Okay. Fair point, yeah. So talk, talk to me about your first impressions here. You started coming. I remember you came and then pretty easily, like pretty quickly you came to a UCF life group mm -hmm. and then you were coming all the time after that point. Talk to us about that, kind of how you got plugged in here. All right. Well, uh, even though my, uh, my first day was a little bit uh, scary because, well, when we showed up an hour early and I didn't know anyone, but... Uh, once I, I got into the worship service and I immediately felt like I was a part of something and like there was just a, a family here, a Christian family here because everyone was worshiping to the same God and they were all my age, which was something I wasn't used to. The church I come from, everyone's like in their 80s. So it was, it, it was something completely different. Right. And 
So I, I just felt like I was saying, hey, you pray for this for a very long time. Here it is. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to use it to its fullest. I've been praying for this long enough. So I started coming to Life Group, and I made friends, and uh, well, here I am. Yeah. Here you are. Okay, so um, you get plugged in your first year. You get through your first year. Uh, you have pretty solid friendships here after your first year. Mm -hmm. Then this summer you had an internship and you went to Colorado. What's it like from someone who grew up maybe a little lonely in your church situation? Then you have like 200 friends here, and then you move to Denver, Colorado, or just outside Denver? What's that? Breckenridge. Breckenridge, right? You're working for a resort in Breckenridge, yeah. and you're there for the summer. Compare that summer to like what it's like being here um, in community. Well, uh, when I did... Uh go to Breckenridge, I, would, I didn't want to go, honestly. I just, I knew I had to, but I honestly didn't want to leave the awesome community that I just built here. And I was worried about what was going to happen. Am I going to leave and I'm just going to be forgotten? Am I going to be like, Will who? Who's that new dude <laughs> coming back, you know? So I was worried. Um, but then when I returned, it was like nothing ever changed. It was like I never left. And it was so impactful when those that I didn't make relationships with were telling me, hey, I, what happened? I, I missed you. Where have you been? Like, geez, you've been gone so long. And I was like, wow, I didn't, wow, they actually care. Wow, I didn't think I was gone that long. But, you know, it was, it was interesting. Very, uh, um, I did a lot of things in terms of had fun and such, but it was hard to build that community over there. I kind of didn't want to because I was, I didn't want to cheat on you guys, so... Yeah. Understood. And that's a good answer. So, well, final question. And by the way, you guys have done a great job up here. Neither one of you kind of likes the public speaking role here. So y'all are, it's incredible that you guys got up here. Um, oh, yeah. So actually, I'm going to throw this to Josh. Josh, sorry, you got to answer this last one. Your friendship with Will is a great picture of why someone should invest in and take the time to invite their friends to church. If you, Josh, were going to encourage someone else to invest and invite, what would you say? Um, it's kind of like asking a girl to prom. Like the worst thing they can say is no. Um, but by asking, you, you open that door, you've extended an invitation, and then they can go back. Like I know my parents used to always say, like, you plant the seed. Um, so then they can come to you when they're ready, or you can just keep inviting them. Um, it took him once, and he was here, and he got plugged in right away. Um, so I would say invite, and even if you're, like, we talked about inviting and investing. Even if you're not the one to invest, inviting them can open the door for other people to come in and invest. Awesome. Hey, I just want to say, you know, you guys are a great model of what we want to be about here. And I, um, I'm just so thankful for Josh, the boldness you took and the steps you took in inviting Will, because not only are you an integral part of our church family, Will has become an integral part of our church family. And it's just the, the picture of what I think Jesus wants to do here over and over. So thanks for making room on the couch. Thanks for investing and inviting. Will, thanks for trusting us and jumping in. Tell thanks to Miss Shirley, your mom, for trusting us with you. Uh, Will, if you guys don't know this, Will got baptized this last year. And um, yeah, you get to clap. And, and I'll just say this, it doesn't happen. Will doesn't get in that water. Um, if it's not for Josh inviting him and for our UCF ministry just being so awesome and for our Anthem family gathering every Thursday to just support and celebrate. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming up here. Will you guys give another round of applause for, for Josh and Will? Thank you. Hey, great job. Great job. Great job. Hey, I want us in light of this just to uh, respond a little bit. So uh, I want to invite you to stand, which is our default posture.